Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. From New York City, the only city in America, it's the show that invented news. This is The Daily Show with your host, Sarah Silverman. Another night of hosting. It's almost like life is this repetitious cycle from which only death can truly release us. <laughs> but anyway, who's ready for some fun? Let's get ready. Let's get right to it. The big news. There was an election yesterday. Maybe you forgot about it. And apparently, so did some Republicans. Because Democrats got almost everything they wanted. Overnight, Democrats on a winning streak. Scoring victories in Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia. In deep red Kentucky, Trump-backed candidate Republican Daniel Cameron trying to take down Democratic Governor Andy Bashir by linking him to Biden. But it didn't work. Thank you, Kentucky! And in Virginia, a tidal wave for Democrats who held on to their state Senate majority and took control of the House of Delegates, too. A dramatic rebuke of Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin. And in Philadelphia, history was made. Democrat Sherelle Parker becoming the first female mayor in the city of brotherly love. And now to the remarkable story of a man who was in prison for years for a crime he did not commit. Yusuf Salam, known as one of the exonerated five, has been elected to New York City council after running unopposed. The beautiful thing about my story is that I was counted out. I was one of those who was pushed into the margins of life. And now we're here right now. accused of attacking a Central Park jogger and who Donald Trump said should get the death penalty is now a city councilman. He went from having his life threatened by Trump to being an elected representative. He's like a reverse Mike Pence. And to this man who has overcome so much and still has the selflessness and the strength of character to turn around and serve this city that falsely imprisoned him. I just want to say, when are you going to do something about the jackhammering? My taxes pay your salary, buddy. Fix the subways. But yeah, yeah. 
Democrats were the big winners last night, which means all those human sacrifices were worth it. <laughs> Shout out to my fellow Illuminati members. Guys, we did it. <laughs> Democrats are feeling real good. After the results rolled in, I got an email from Nancy Pelosi that wasn't even asking for money. It just said, Sarah, I am so wet right now. <laughs> Now, elections aren't only about uh, changing which butts are taking up which seats in various fancy rooms. People also get to vote directly on issues that are important to them. Clearly the biggest takeaway from last night, abortion rights again boosting Democrats in key races in both red and blue states. Abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. In one of the country's most watched swing state races, Ohioans voting to guarantee abortion access, enshrining that right into the state's constitution. Ohio becoming the seventh state to vote to protect abortion rights since the Supreme Court's ruling last year overturning Roe v. Wade. You put very sexy things like abortion and marijuana on the ballot, and a lot of young people come out and vote. issues like abortion? What are his porn search words? <laughs> the fact is, abortion limits have become such a losing issue that some conservatives have reportedly decided the problem isn't pro-life policies, but the phrase pro-life. They're looking to rebrand it, but personally, I think they should be forced to carry this phrase to term. <laughs> and, and for more on this conundrum... In the pro-life movement, let's go live to the Ohio State House with Grace Kulenschmidt. Hello, Grace. The pro-life movement has a real problem here. Even in red states, voters don't like being told what to do with their bodies. Mm, I don't know if it's as much of a body control thing as it is a branding problem. I mean, pro-life, yuck. Have you seen life? It's gross. So much mucus. That's why it needs a fun new term that doesn't have all the baggage. Like, instead of pro-life, they could go with pro-parents or pro-girl power or pro-Zendaya. <laughs> what else is popular? Oh, <laughs> I know, pro-choice. People seem to love that term. <laughs> uh, Grace, I think that one's already taken. Uh, well, that would like cause a lot of confusion, right? <laughs> yeah, it would. What a goof. <laughs> That's why they're also considering slogans that are totally unrelated to abortion, but will naturally appeal to women. Like, how about pro-shopping? You know how us ladies are, Sarah. <laughs> that is such a cheap appeal. Women are not stupid. No, they're not. They're probably not. <laughs> That's why the pro-life movement should consider brand sponsorships like how sports teams do with stadiums. Maybe people will like the fetal heartbeat law if it's now the Smoothie King fetal heartbeat law. I do love smoothies. <laughs> Still, voters don't like to be tricked. They deserve honesty. Yeah, great. Honesty, we're spitballing now. I love it. What if pro-lifers were just totally honest? Their slogans can be just straight up, your body, our choice. Or Handmaid's Tale, let's try it. Grace, none of that is going to work. People in this country don't want to ban abortion, period. No, it's about the branding. They just haven't figured out the right one yet. <laughs>
but I'm not worried. Republicans are the party of middle-aged white guys who wear socks during sex. They know how to appeal to women. <laughs> Grace Kulenschmidt, everybody. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. It's great. It mostly makes life easier for humans, and in exchange, we humans try our best to not drop it into the toilet. <laughs> but right now, the technology we're talking about is artificial intelligence. Since it came into our lives, we've all been trying to grapple with its larger impact. We're seeing kids use it to cheat in school. We're seeing shitty partners use it for breakups. ChatGPT is even able to pass the legal bar exam, meaning it'll be the first AI to develop an addiction to cocaine. <laughs> but it might be a good thing that ChatGPT could be a lawyer because a lot of people are taking its ass to court. This morning, a Game of Thrones erupting over the rights to some of the most popular works in the world. George R.R. R. Martin and more than a dozen other authors now suing OpenAI, creator of ChatGPT. Martin joining forces with authors like Jody Pico, John Grisham, Ellen Hildebrand, Michael Connolly, and David Baldacci to take on the AI giant. And comedian Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI and Meta. She claims the company's developed artificial intelligence tools that freely copied her memoir, Bedwetter, without permission. That's right, mother <laughs> Esteemed writing luminaries like myself and George R.R. R. Martin are, are suing AI. And I'll tell you why in another installment of Long Story Short. For as long as we have had civilization, we've also had art. For over 40,000 years, artists have had a sacred creative process. They, they sit down to ruminate on the human condition. They, they pace and they struggle to focus. Uh, they get up to get a snack, maybe take a nap. Then they work a bit more. So they reward themselves by scrolling Instagram on the toilet for so long they shit again. <laughs> then they finally get something on the page and when they ask their partner for feedback, they get mad when it isn't what they wanted to hear because their partner doesn't get me. Why do I even ask you? You're supposed to support me. <laughs> then eventually they buckle down, really do the work, and finally, voila, tub thumping. <laughs> but now, generative AI can eliminate that entire creative process in a matter of seconds. Dolly 2 is artificial intelligence software that can turn anything you type into art in any style. Portrait of a panda in the style of Renoir. And boom. While Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin has had fans waiting years for his next novels, one programmer used ChatGPT to generate the long-awaited installments in mere minutes. 
A programmer generated his own shitty ending to Game of Thrones? Why waste your time? HBO already did that for you. Here's the thing. While AI has helped open many avenues for new works, there's just one problem. They're not new works. What these programs do is scrape text and images from existing works and feed it into their system in order to create copycats. So when someone wanted to know what a, a modern Mona Lisa would look like, they just typed it into an AI program and seconds later it pumped out this. That's right. <laughs> we used this ultra-powerful technological tool to put titties on the Mona Lisa. Congrats, society. We did it. And for the record, if we're gonna add sweater puppies to a Da Vinci painting, it should have been the Last Supper. I mean, look at them. <laughs> Who's gonna crucify these melons? Anyway, these programs are not just pumping out busty derivative works of art, they're also printing money. ChatGPT is on track to make a billion dollars just this year alone, which is great for them, but the problem is that these companies are using artists' work without consent or credit or payment. And I've had first-hand experience with this theft because one of the 100,000 books used to train ChatGPT was my book, The Bedwetter available wherever books are sold. <laughs> and by the way, that book is about my actual life, my jokes, my experiences, my pain, and ChatGPT stole all of it and didn't even have the courtesy to give me Mona Lisa tits. <laughs> I hadn't seen that artwork. <clears throat> and surprisingly, many of the owners of these AI companies don't seem to be in a giant rush to unpack the moral implications. I bought this for $79, thinking it was the work of a talented artist. But a robot made it. AI software called Midjourney, created by David Holtz. How do you respond to the idea that this is somehow a counterfeit form of artistic expression? Well, we're not really selling art. We're just, we have this community that's playing with this technology. Like, the art community already has issues with plagiarism. I don't really want to be involved in that. Like, I, I, think I, mean, you, I, don't, I, I, I think you might be. I might be. I might be. You know what you made. Oh no, you guys aren't going to use the atomic bomb I made to hurt people, are you? Ugh. When did humanity's villains start looking like such beta cucks? I mean, say what you want about Genghis Khan, but at least he looks like his stomach could handle milk. <laughs> and this is precisely... Well, thank you. <laughs> why you are seeing artists filing lawsuits to protect not only their creative work, but the work of future artists. And just to be clear, I'm not looking to shut down AI or, or turn the clock back. I just want guardrails so that AI fairly compensates the people whose work comprises its entire brain. This is not anything new. Technological advancements will always require regulation. For example, when, when technology brought us turntables and music sampling, it helped launch the genre of rap music and brought us lyrical wizards like Biggie and Tupac and Chet Hanks. <laughs> but back when it started, it wasn't clear whether sampling was an innovative art form or stealing. But eventually, legal guardrails were put in place that helped set how technology could be used to create art and compensate those who, whose previous works were being used. It's not perfect, but both sides can get what they want. It's why uh, every time you listen to the Jay-Z song, Hard Knock Life, 
um, those kids from Annie get money so they don't have to live in an orphanage anymore. <laughs> Everybody wins. <laughs> so long story short, I'm not saying we should destroy these AI models. I'm just saying we also need rules to protect artists and their work. And I'm confident we can find a way through this because artists are resilient. We get knocked down, but we get up again. You're never gonna keep us down. When we come back, the incredible Margot Price will be joining me on the show. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. She's here to talk about her latest album, Strays, and her memoir, Maybe We'll Make It. Please welcome Margot Price. Oh my God, I thought my phone alarm was on, but it was the music from here. <laughs> Sorry, my edibles are boop, yeah. kicking in. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Um, so your album is about substance abuse, it's about um, self-image, it's about abortion rights, and you, you wrote it on mushrooms. Um, was that a revelation in songwriting? Tell me, spill. It was, I really wanted to shake things up. You know, I kind of got my start with this um, old school country album. It was called Midwest Farmer's Daughter, and uh, Jack White put it out. And things kindly, kind of, finally turned around for me. But uh, yeah, with this album, I just wanted to be able to go out there and not be pigeonholed. Yeah. Yeah. And but the psilocybin opened your brain up. Did what? I'm like so into this. Yeah, it's um, it's been pretty transformative for me. I. The first time I had a psychedelic trip, I was 20 years old, and I dropped out of college and moved Whoa. to Nashville. <laughs> Highly suggested for anybody who doesn't want to get into uh, student loan debt. But um, then, uh, yeah, then the next time I took it, I wrote this album, and 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 then the third time that I took it, um, I decided to quit drinking alcohol, which had really been a challenge for me. And it was kind of after I started reading about um, Bill Wilson and the work he did with it. AA, and he initially had a psychedelic experience on a plant called belladonna. And they were actually, at the very beginning moments of AA, they were giving people acid and it was curing their alcoholism. So um, I don't know if you're feeling stuck with anything. I will say, <laughs> in my early 20s, ecstasy changed my life. Yeah, MDMA is absolutely incredible for compassion as well. I, and I, I, you know, you're honest and you walk the walk. You've been really vocal about gun control, which is, I think, the number one killer of children in this country. And um, boy, you even took a detour on the road to vote in Nashville for the mayor. That's right. I, I um, was out on tour and 
it was just a really important election for Nashville. And so I took off at 10 o'clock at night, got to Nashville at three in the morning, woke up at nine, voted, and then drove back and played a show in Illinois. What is it like being a liberal in a, a, a kind of country world? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't get invited to all the parties, um, but that's okay. Their parties suck. And uh, um, yeah, I think it's been, I, I like pushing boundaries. I like pushing my limits. I think that if we can have conversations, we live in such polarizing times and really, if we could all realize that we're more alike than we think and so true. begin to talk about these things, I want to destigmatize psychedelics and uh, just thoughts on gun control, I think that the only way to do that is, is by talking about it. Yeah, I agree. Not different. I mean, I've, I've almost never disliked someone I've actually met face to face. That's right, thing. that's right, yeah. Um, you have a song called Light Me Up. Why don't you explain to the audience what it's about, Margot? Okay, I will. <laughs> Um, this song was one that we wrote the day after we took a God's dose of mushrooms and, um, you know, I was just listening to a lot of songs in the country music world and even in the Americana world and I just wasn't hearing a lot of songs about the female orgasm. And uh, I thought we needed to change that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a liberating song about sex and, and women's pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you live in such a time and... I mean, and I live in a place where, you know, abortion rights and women's bodies are just, it, they're not our own. And I, I'm here to show up and, and, and fight for yeah. what's ours. I love it. Now, you wrote this book, Maybe We'll Make It, and what was your approach to writing a book? Is, is there, are there any similarities to how you approach songwriting? Was it a completely different, daunting task? <laughs> it was daunting, and I know you know as well. <laughs> Laying it all out there. Um, I started writing it when I found myself pregnant with my daughter Ramona, and I was just at home, and I, I couldn't tour. And through the process, it was also kind of when I decided to give up drinking because I was reading everything from this different place. I was able to give myself a little bit more compassion as I was reading things back. Um, but it was scary to put it all out there. Um, you know, it's everybody I've slept with, all the drugs I've ever done. So sorry, Grandma. <laughs> so it's interesting because, you know, having written a book, you know, a memoir, it's you kind of have to really be a detective in your own life. And then you realize that would, that's really good just for everybody to do. You yeah, know, because yeah. you, you learned so much from it. And your, I think your editor read it and said, gee, it, it feels like whiskey is the main character of this book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, she said that that was like my, uh, my co-star. And uh, it's true. I mean, I used to drink harder than anybody. and. Uh, that was just kind of the way that I lived. and It was like a badge of honor. And it was kind of going through that whole time. It's been almost three years now. And it's just been completely transformative to give it up and just have all this extra energy. Thank you. I mean, I, I, mean, I still do drugs. Yeah, yeah, I, I still, still do drugs. drugs. Yeah, yeah. Drugs. I still smoke weed. I but, still smoke yeah, weed. Like, I've always been a weed person. 
person, uh, you know, like more mind expanding, but I cannot be around drunk people. Yeah, they're annoying, it turns yeah, out. They're I super it, annoying. I find it insufferable. Um, hold on, I got, oh wow, you're performing your song Lydia tonight, which I'm so excited about, and it's about abortion, and you wrote it before Roe was overturned. So what inspired that? I was walking around um, in a, in this town in Canada that was, there was just like a lot of methadone clinics, a lot of um, people that were really struggling. And so I initially wrote it then and I was kind of scared of the song. I played it for a couple of my friends and one of them said, man, that, that song just really sucks the air out of the room. And um, it doesn't rhyme and it's like six minutes. So I knew that this was the perfect place to come do a song yes, about a hooker contemplating an abortion. Strays and Strays 2 are available now. Explore more shows from The Daily Show Podcast Universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central Podcast. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.